Well, welcome back to the Dream Create Enjoy podcast. I'm Drew Thurman, one of your hosts. I'm joined by Jace Rashi. How's it going, Jace? I'm doing great. How are you, Drew? I can't complain. Well, I can't complain, but I'm not going to complain on the podcast. So uh, like you, I have two young kids and I'm tired a lot. So, yep. Yep. Uh, Well, before we get going, uh, we're going to, it's been a little while since we've recorded one of these episodes, the holidays hit and had a lot of distractions going on, but I'm just interested uh, for fun off the top of the show. What's the best thing that you have watched like best show or movie that you've picked up mm. during the uh, pandemic? Um, gosh, that's a good question. We, we, the movie on the movie side, we, we don't watch many movies these days, but we watched the social dilemma. Cause you know, that was kind of a, the hot thing there for a second, obviously the Michael Jordan documentary uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. But aside from that, uh, yeah, the social dilemma, man, it makes you just rethink everything about social media but other than that some shows i mean we we, we watch ozark it's a little dark uh I, I wouldn't recommend it for everyone but uh it's great great storytelling uh in that show and then uh and then friends we just started watching friends for the first time ever uh and so that's been a fun way to end the night every night so what about you well i mean i had forgot about the last dance the pandemic is i know so, so long ago <laughs> feels like two years ago uh yeah the last dance was awesome that's probably one of my favorite things i've watched uh in recent years i mean i just i could not wait every week for that to to be released um yeah uh well i actually picked up as a as a hobby during this i started watching west wing binging Mm. west wing Mm -hmm. i'd never i mean i'd seen you know a few episodes here or there but i just had really missed the show and I love it. I mean, I would say it's maybe my favorite show I've ever watched. And oh, that's, wow. That's, High saying, praise. that's saying a lot. It's just so well done. And I'm not even like a big political like guy. And I still I just love the show. Uh, Jed Bartlett, the, you know, fictional president in the show. I really wish he was a real person. <laughs> so I'd like to meet him. But yeah, I, I absolutely love that. So that's been that's been ours. And or I should say mine. I'm sure that was interesting uh, watching that during the midst of an election season and turmoil uh, in our uh, political system yeah. right now. No comment. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it really was. So, and then my wife's had us watching Virgin River. So, which is, it's okay. It's kind of like a extensive <laughs> Hallmark movie. So yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway well it's great to be back it's great to uh get to talk again on this podcast and right after our intro we'll get after it well welcome to the dream create enjoy podcast this podcast is an extension of renaissance We're a new grassroots church movement getting off the ground in the Boston metro area with a humble vision to empower everyday people, dreamers, creators, and enjoyers of life to showcase the beauty of Christ in our city. Every episode, we'll talk about themes related to that vision and what it means to be the church in our unique cultural moment. To find out more about us, head to wearerenaissance.org. In the meantime, we're glad you're tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Well, 
again, it is great to be back recording another episode. If you have uh, not been tracking with this season or you've clicked on this link and you're like, what is going on? Uh, basically, in our second season of this show, uh, we have been talking through the essentials of Renaissance. So we are a network of micro churches that really bond together over uh, these essentials, kind of the umbrella vision of being um, you know, for us to see Christian community look like these things, they're really the backbone of who we are. So we've been working through some of those, talking practically about what they are and how we can see those more fostered in the life of our micro churches and our network. So Jace, why don't you go ahead and introduce the next essential that we're going to be talking through in this episode? Yeah, so this is, uh, I, th I believe, the fourth one uh, that we've gotten to. So we are working our way through. We got 10 of these. Uh, and this one is we are focusing on authenticity over facades. And so this is what um, we wrote in our manifesto, so to speak. Um, we value authenticity, being real about our joys and struggles rather than creating facades. So the first thing is just what is a facade? I think... Um, you know, there's a few different analogies you could use to, to describe that or to explain that. I think one of the best ones is if you've, if you've ever had a uh, laminate countertop or I have a laminate desk actually. Um, and all it takes is one little nick and you, the laminate comes off and you can see right underneath of it. Uh, if you've got any of those beloved pieces of furniture in your house, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and that is, it just, it looks like it's real. It looks like the real deal, but you, you know, one little fingernail and all of a sudden you've got a scratch and you can see what's underneath. And so it's just this front that you put on to hide what's underneath really, right? You're hiding the particle board or whatever it is that's underneath. Uh, the other one that I think of a lot of, or you hear a lot is the facades of buildings. And so buildings can look really nice. They can be dressed up. Um, and it is no indication of what the building's going to look like once you go inside, right? It's just what they've put on the front that you show, um, the, you know, the public, it's the public facing front. And so that's the, that's another great explanation for what a facade is. And so, so again, let me read this again. We value authenticity being real about our joys and struggles rather than creating facades. So what's the problem that we see in churches? So Drew, I'll let you kick us off on here. What's, what's the problem uh, that we face in churches of not being authentic or putting up a facade? Yeah, yeah. I, well, it's a complex conversation, and I think we probably need to clarify what we're not saying and what we actually are saying when we we introduce this because right. it is a authenticity is a big conversation. Uh, I do find it interesting that we live in a culture that probably has more facades than any culture in history. I mean, <laughs> the amount of th I mean, we live in a very airbrushed culture. I mean, we very much present oh, yeah. ourselves the Instagram life, the amount of clothes and, and lifestyles that we have to put on to, to make ourselves look better. And yet, I think if you talk to anybody, we value authenticity and uh, being real, maybe more than any culture. I mean, we, that's a big deal to people. And we actually crucify people on social media for being fake or for, mm -hmm. so it's, it's a very weird juxtaposition in our culture that you've got those two things that are happening at the same time that on one level, we're all fake. And yet at the same time, none of us value people who are fake. So it's just, it's very, right. it's like very strange. This is a paradox. Very much paradoxical, but what we're not talking about is necessarily, um, our culture's definition of authenticity. We do live in an era um, 
Charles Taylor actually coins it, uh, the philosopher, the age of authenticity, that in our individualism, truth is found inside of us. I need to find my authentic true self and then champion that onto the world. So truth isn't something transcendent. It isn't something bigger than me. It's what I've decided truth is for me. We see this all over our culture. And then I need to go and basically get validation and basically tell the world, this is who I am. And this is what my, you know, who I am. This is my truth. We're not saying that we're not saying uh, because there's some right. of those things are not God honoring. Some of those things are things that it's like, no, you're, that's not actually true. Or, you know, you, you've missed the mark. We're not necessarily saying that we're actually talking about authenticity in terms of community that we want to find that we want to be communities where people can come and be real about, again, with their joys and struggles about what's really going on in their life rather than coming and faking it. And unfortunately the church uh, I think a, a byproduct of, of fundamentalism that has happened in a lot of church settings, um, because we judge people very much by the way they dress and act or their sins or they're not perceived sins, that there's the way that we kind of respond to that is often, let me fake it. Let me present myself better than I actually am so that people will think I'm holier than I am. This is not a new thing. This goes back. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. you know, what the Pharisees, you know, uh, Jesus talks about them being whitewashed tombs. This is, this is not a new problem, yeah. but it's very true in our culture. In fact, I grew up in, a, in, in churches where you acted differently once you walked into the church building than you did in you know, the rest of the week, which is part of the reason that hypocrisy is what's turned a lot of people off to Christianity. But I remember even hearing like, oh, you don't say that at church or don't act like mm -hmm. that, you know, like somehow like yeah. I, I you know in this building you better act differently than you do out there and i think that that dualism in our lives this this who i am outside the church walls and who i am creates uh, a lack of authenticity and what we want to do is say what does it look like to create communities where yes we all strive we want each other to be more like christ but there is zero judgment for the struggles you're dealing with and the times you're going to trip up because that is the Christian life. That's what it means to follow That's God. That's what Jesus. it means to be. Yeah. Now, I think, I think you hit it on there, the word hypocrisy, right? That's really authenticity compared to facade is, is really, it's the difference between what you're showing the world and who you really are. Uh, another way to think about that is the incongruence, right? The two things are not congruent. You have the inner life and what is actually going on and then what you're projecting to the outside life. And when there's incongruency there, that's where you have hypocrisy, but it's also where you feel conflict and internal strife, you know, and, and I, like you said, being feared of judgment for others, it doesn't take very long. And everyone's probably been a part of a group where you, you learn the culture and it's, you'll re, you'll resonate this if you grew up in the church world specifically, but you, you're part of a group, you learn the culture and it doesn't take too long before you realize what you need to say to fit in and what facade you need to put on so that you look like the other ones. So I know when I'm with my Democrat friends that I'm just going to bash the Republicans. And that's how I fit into that little group, even if that's not true on the inside and vice versa. When I'm with my Republican friends and I just bash the Democrats. You know, it works in the church groups too. you know, small groups that I've been a part of the not very good ones. It's, well, let's just give all the Jesus answers, right? The joke of just answer Jesus for everything and, you, <laughs> so true. and you'll fit in. But it's that facade of like, we're not, I'm not actually getting to who I am and what I'm dealing with in the struggles, because this is just the kind of hidden thing that we all agree on that this is kind of the facade that we're going to put on with this group. And, you know, we all feel 
good about ourselves later and we project this image and yeah, we'll get into that. But Jesus had a lot to say about that. And so, yeah, exactly what you said, what we're not, what we're trying to get at is that right there of, of being authentic in community, in relation to others, being able to be our true selves without fear of judgment. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's a lot you could tie into with guilt and shame, right? It's, it's when you're in a part of group, there's times when, when you should feel guilty, but not feel shame. You know, if, if you can express your authentic self and there's other people there to hold you accountable, that's in, a, in an, a loving way and not in a judging way, then, then that's healthy. Whereas if they're just going to look down on you because you were only, you were the one that only confessed it, even though everyone else is dealing with the same thing, then that's shame. Uh, and that's the hypocrisy and that's where the double standard comes in. So we're going to explore that a little bit more, um, after the break, unless you have anything else to say, Drew. Nope. I think that's well said. All right, we'll be back after the break uh, to dig in a little bit more. Well, we're back. And in the, before the break, we were just talking about the problem of facades and why we want to be uh, and, or create authentic community, uh, what, what it looks like for authenticity to be there. So now that we've diagnosed the problem, we really want to turn the corner and for the rest of the podcast, spend some time talking about, you know, what does it look like to get authenticity right? And even at the end of this episode, practically for folks that are starting micro churches or looking around and saying, man, you know, we're, we're still talking in third person a lot. We're not really diving in yet. Give some advice on what it looks like to lean into authenticity. But before we get there um, to the practical stuff, as we just talk big picture, Jace, why do you think authenticity is so important in Christian community? It's mm. a big question. Uh, I think really it starts at, it's kind of what Christianity is built on, right? I mean, Jesus came, uh, the whole point of, you know, Jesus died for our sins so that we could be in relationship to God because we can't do it ourselves. You know, it's the pride. It's admitting to ourselves that we can't do this. And I think without the authenticity to realize that we're all fallen, um, people, when we're not willing to admit that we can't really go anywhere. So I think it's, that's, that's the starting block, but I also think authentic Christian community is really what builds you up, right? That's what being together with other believers, when you read about, you know, the early church in acts or what Jesus was talking about, um, and some of his parables or even Paul and talking about the different churches, it's, it's, it's when you work together, like the Christian life was not meant to be lived apart. It was meant to be lived together and live together in an authentic way where we can share, be there for one another, support one another, help each other out. Um, you know, authentic Christian community really should be about mutual edification. It's submitting to one another. It's saying, you know, I am weak here and you are strong and you are weak there and I'm strong there. Like, let's, let's do this together. Not just two people, but in a group of people saying, how can we lift one another up? Um, especially I think in this culture, which we talked about earlier, where it's right now, we just want to point at the other person and say, you did something wrong and trying to elevate ourselves by putting you down. I think the opposite of that is what we're trying to get out. Authentic Christian community says, you messed up. Let's lift each other up. And let's be honest about that and help one another. And that's not easy. There's a lot of nuance there. Obviously, um, there's a lot of difficulties that go with it. But I think when done right, authentic Christian community really um, allows you to grow 
together in that mutual edification, uh, like we talked about. And what, you know, what does it mean to be authentic? I think about the story, the story that keeps coming to my mind as we're talking is the uh, a parable that Jesus told about uh, how a tax collector went to the temple uh, and bowed his head and beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, and then the Pharisee said, you know, thank God that I'm not like the tax collector. And Jesus said, which one went home justified today? Uh, and it was the one that, you know, beat his chest and said, have mercy on me. I'm not worthy. And I think, like we said, that you, we can't get anywhere if we're not willing to be authentic selves. And that requires a lot of trust, right? That I, I'm giving you information. I'm being vulnerable. Um, and it requires, you know, humility in order to to throw something out there that's um, that can be hard. But it's and it's the joys, too, uh, and sharing in that with each other. So that, those are just some of my initial thoughts. What would you add to that, Drew, well, when you think about I would say going back to your first point, um, I think we've got to dwell there of that. It's the core to the Christian faith because mm-hmm. um, everything you said was great. Uh, but I, I really want to stop there and pause and say, you know, maybe this is me being very philosophical and I apologize, but uh, love and being known are, are the same. Mm-hmm. We can't experience, we don't really experience love until we feel like we're fully known. Uh, that's at every level. And so when we feel like I, when I feel like any, any relationship in my life, when I'm holding something back, someone doesn't really know who I am. I don't really feel, I don't feel loved because I, you know, and sometimes it's, I'm projecting that on myself. Right. You know, um, but I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm enough. I, I, I don't feel valuable. Um, and so love and, and authenticity go hand in hand. And I think that's the power of the incarnation, right? Is yep. God becomes one of us. He takes on human flesh. He, he indwells a human body and he looks and says, I see you. I mean, you have all these glimpses in the gospels of Jesus looking at broken, messy people and says, I see you. I see you in your hurt. I see you in your sin. I see you in your mistakes. And guess what? I know all of it and I still love you. And I think that's what's so awful about, you know, the, the religious leaders wanting to present something. And Jesus is saying, you know, not only you're not only are you ruining my love for other people, you're ruining it for yourself. You have a chance to be fully known where you don't have to pretend that you're enough. You don't have to pretend that you've got it all together and experience this beauty that I have for you, that I want you to know that I love you as you are. I also love you enough that I want you to experience better things and not keep making mm-hmm. those mistakes, but I love you as you are right now. That is, that is, that is the core of the gospel message. That is the core to of be the, fully known and fully loved, yep. to be fully known and fully loved. And so if the Christian community is not embodying that thing, then we are not embodying the gospel message. We are not living into uh, the gospel message with one another. If we continue to still operate as if I need to hide or push down part of who I am, or I need to sweep my mistakes behind the the table so that I can be, you know, so that I can be better or that you can think that I'm more holy, I have missed the mark of the Christian community. So I, that's all I would add to that is I think that's why it's so important. Now, going hand in hand with that, and I think this is where we're going next, the way that we structure and do church very much lends to itself yep. how authenticity gets realized and lived 
in the day to day. And so if it is very hierarchical, it's very much about how do I get to a platform or I can't serve or do this or that until I quote unquote have my life together. Well, all that does is intrinsically motivate people to say, well, whether or not I have it together, I need to pretend like I have it together so that I can, uh, I can be on these stages or I can do this or I can do that, which is part of the reason we continue to see uh, all these scandals break out mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. saying what would happen if the church novel idea, we've only been talking about it for now a season and a half, gathered primarily around tables and literally could look into one another's eyes, operate as a family, uh, be interdependent, have that you know mutual edification you were talking about, and begin to uh, experience something where you don't feel like you're climbing over each other to be more holy. So I, I yep. would be interested to, to hear you. We've gotten to experience a, a taste of that. Yeah. starting a microchurch. What do you think authenticity looks like in a microchurch setting? I think, uh, I'm no, I think all that you said there was great. And I, I think what it looks like is what you just mentioned too. It's the, it's, you know, it's the mutual edification. And I think anytime that there's a leader of the group, no matter how small the group is, if, if we're not all on the same level and have the same right to speak into each other's lives, then you're going to be missing out on authentic, authentic, authentic community. And so I think in a micro church, what that looks like is uh, what we call distributive leadership. It's giving people, not just one, there's no just one leader of the group. It is, this is, this is our group. It's empowering everyone else to say, this is collectively our group. Um, you know, I facilitate, but I do not lead the group at all. I, I facilitate other champions that we have of different aspects and different rhythms that we're in, but we all have the authority to speak into each other's lives and no one voice is elevated above the other. And I think that's what, when, when I reflect on why our, I love our micro church so much and why it feels so authentic to me, I think that's a huge part of it is that there isn't just one leader because it might be authentic for the other people, but that leader is going to feel that pressure and that burden of like, well, I'm the leader. I can't share this because they're looking to me for all the answers. And I think anytime there's that dynamic in a group, it eats away at that authenticity. And so I think it's that mutual edification and that, and that love for one another. Um, and, you know, that priesthood of all believers, we've harped on that <laughs> time and time again, but it's really leaning into that. And if we believe that, then we need to be, then we need to allow you know, I think Drew as the seminary degree person in our group, allowing someone else who works in the community to be able to speak to, into his life, that's, that communicates the priest of all believers. There's authentic community then. Uh, and it's not just, let's look to the seminary guy to give us all the answers. Um, so I think that that's a huge part of what authenticity well, well, and I would even uh, say, in and a microchurch I, looks like. I want you to continue on, but I, I would even say with that, the underlining thing that you were just saying, the Christian life isn't a set of beliefs. It's an embodied lifestyle. It doesn't mean that there isn't some things that we believe, but that in even of itself is our problem is that if I say the right things, if I believe the right things, if I've walked the aisle, if I've said the prayer, I've got baptized and I have the right doctrine and theology, that's enough. Rather than saying, no, it's a lived experience. It is a lifestyle 
of highs and lows of goods and of good things, bad things. And so I think that's even part of what that elevation is about. Well, this person has more knowledge of, you know, these concepts. And we believe that the more knowledge you have, or the, the you believing the right things is everything. So we naturally elevate the people who have more knowledge. And I, I've talked about this on the podcast and that was fundamentally what started to chip away at me. I'd have weeks where I was not living it, you know, let's mm -hmm. be real. And I would get up and because I'm a passionate speaker, I, I would throw down on a stage and I'd have people in the lobby be like, Oh, I just wish I had your faith. And I would just laugh. Like <laughs> talk to yeah. my wife. Uh, we've argued twice this week and you know, I've said some things that I massively regret. And I think I had one quiet time this week. It's not been good. Uh, no, and so you've true. naturally attributed something to me because you think knowledge is all that the Christian life is. Right. And so, and, and I would even say with that answering the question, I think part of what, and that's even part of the problem, we've all been in small groups that definitely have maybe more intimate community, but don't have more authenticity where everyone's nasal gazing and answers in third person. I mean, that's the worst when you're like talking about big problems, you know, everyone in the group is struggling with and people start using third person, like, <laughs> well, well, people, or, you know, those that yeah. struggle, you know, like, it's somebody else's problem, not mine. We don't, we don't use I statements. Mm -hmm. um, but I think part of that problem is, is that it's still, it's, it's about, we come and study together so that we can have the right, right beliefs rather than saying, what does it look like to do life together? Because relationship creates trust relationship, creates mm -hmm. intimacy relationship says, I value you. And I don't just value you, the small group version of you where we can come right. and talk theology or, you know, how to be better Christian parents or better, you know, but I'm saying, I want all in. I want all of you. I want the good and the bad. I'm going to do life alongside you. That starts to give permission to say, I can be more real with this person because I know that they care about me. I know they're, they're investing lots of time. And I think that's part of the secret sauce to a microchurch is saying, this is not a, again, we, we go through it when we train people. This is not a meeting. This is not a small group. This is not just a Bible study. This is not just a self-help group. All those things are fine. We're more than those right. things. We are doing life together. We are living in the way of Jesus together, committing ourselves to one another. And out of that trust and out of that intimacy starts to uh, make me feel like I have permission to be real because I know you're not leaving yeah, uh, or judging me when you go home because this is all I'm getting of you. Right. Yeah. Jesus didn't say, study me. He said, follow me. It's an embodied reality. And that's exactly, that was, you hit, you hit it right on the head when you were talking about, that's exactly what I was going to say next is, is there has to be, it has to be in the form of a relationship to build up trust. You know, one of the things that we've said all the time in young life and that we've said here at Renaissance is, is earning the right to be heard is that you have to have investment in other people's lives. You can't just show up to the one thing uh, and, and expect to have authentic community if that's the only time that you're ever spending time with those people, because it's just not going to happen. Authentic community happens when trust is built up, when you've earned the right to be heard. When I know your kids and we are spending time at the cookout and I'm loving on your kids and we're all together and the the single lady in the group is is giving gifts to the kids and we're going and picking apples together. Like those are all things that, would seem insignificant, but all add up to that trust and earning the right to be heard. And if that's not there, then you you don't have that authenticity. Because when when I know that you love me, for me, 
and not just because I'm showing up to your thing, that's when true authenticity happens. Yep, yep. When I know that I can share this with you. And even if I never come back to this group that you're still going to love me, that's like, that's authentic. My favorite relationships when I did youth ministry were always when, when a kid would not be coming to anything I did or any event that I put on, but still wanted a relationship with me because they knew that I love them. That's when I knew that we were at a point in the relationship where it didn't matter what else happened. It's that I, we had reached that point of trust to where we could be real with each other and share with each other. And they knew that I love them and I was going to be there for them regardless of what they did for me. And I think that's the same is true in any kind of church group or micro church that we're a part of is that we have to know and have the trust that these people love me for me, not just because I'm showing up to this thing that's put on or not just because I'm helping be a greeter or within the children's ministry or park cars. Like if I know that I'm loved for me and I could leave and go to the church down the street and these people are still going to love me. That's when you have the real authenticity. And I would argue when you have that, you're not going to leave to go to the church down the street that cause you've got that real authenticity, but that's, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. No, and, and again, we don't, I don't want to give the impression. I don't think we are, but we're not giving the impression that it's easy. And we're not giving the impression that it's not messy because it is incredibly messy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Christian life is messy, but I think I, again, I compare it to a family. I mean, there's a reason why family is the predominant metaphor that is used throughout the new Testament. Um, I was actually just arguing with somebody on Twitter about this this week, but uh, you know, Paul uses over 130 familial terms in the new Testament. And uh, there was very much this idea. You think about it like, um, with my kid, well, I've got two daughters now. I all the time now with my daughter, Annie, tell her every time she's in trouble, you can never do anything to not make daddy love you. Like there's nothing you can do that I am not going to love you and give my life to you. And I hope, you know, and I think, you know, we all know kids that have been you know, raised up, my parents said the same thing to me, raised up in households where that was not true. Love was very much uh, based off merit and based off of, you know, not shaming the family. Um, But I grew up, my parents told me that all the time, and I have never stopped believing it. I'm sure I've disappointed them plenty, but they've never stopped loving me. I think it's the same thing for, you know, I say that to my daughters and, you know, I say that to my wife all the time. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think you could ever do anything to make me not love you. I made a commitment to you. I love you. Good time or bad, good times and bad. I, you know, I, we've entered into this covenant relationship. That's what Christian community is. It's a covenant community. And it's a reason why so many familial terms are used. It is messy. We argue, we're not going to get along. We're going to fight. But uh, at the end of the day, if we can look into each other's eyes and say, there's nothing you can do that I'm, is going to make me stop loving you. Uh, there's nothing that you can do. That's going to make me give up on you. Uh, that goes a long, long way. Uh, and again, hopefully as relationship gets fostered and we, we commit ourselves to each other like that, uh, some good things can happen. Now, we're fighting a lot. Uh, I mean, we're very individualistic in our culture. Mm-hmm. We often flee. Fight or flight happens. We often flee when conflict happens because it's easier. Most of us, uh, we live in a culture that's so uh, very fractured. So we don't know how to deal with conflict often or work through some of these things in terms of community because we haven't seen it evidence. So we're fighting a lot to get there and it is messy, but on it, we're going to give it a shot and we're going to do everything we can. So with that in mind, I, I'd be interested, why don't we talk about giving some, as we're kind of closing out some practical advice, what does it look like to lean in? If we've got micro church leaders that are listening or people 
elsewhere yeah. that are fascinated. Like we'd love to like see authentic community happen in whatever form of church that I'm in. What are some pieces of advice that you would, you would give? Yeah. Uh, don't expect it to happen overnight. <laughs> right. You, like you just said, it's a family. It takes, it takes time to get to that level. Um, you know, friends, you can all joke around and be happy. Families are messy, <laughs> right? You don't agree with everyone in your family, but you love them because you know you're always there and there's a comfort in that. And that's really what you're hoping for. Uh, you're not hoping for this clean buttoned up version. It's going to be, you, you want the messy stuff because that's where you get the real stuff. Uh, and that's where, you know, authentic community happens. So, so I would say recognize that it, it's going to take time. Um, and, and I think commitment to one another, like you, we were just saying is, you got to be committed and you have to have a group of people that are committed to each other, no matter what. Um, and, and then you have to have vulnerability, like we said, and humility. Uh, and I would add specifically from whoever in the group people tend to look to or think is the smartest or the quote unquote leader um, that that person has to be the first to just to dive in because they're going to follow the lead. There's always one person in the group it's either going to be the person with the seminary degree or the the pastor or the one that's been a Christian the longest or the oldest. There's going to be someone that everyone just assumes they're the wisest, they're the leader. I'm going to follow their lead. And it, and it takes that person or people uh, to be vulnerable and, and to open that door. Because uh, if the leader doesn't, if the person that's perceived to be the smartest or the wisest or the most holy um, starts sharing about how how much that they're not holy then wow that opens the floodgates that allows vulnerability that allows authentic community to come in now obviously there's a point of oversharing and we won't get into all that <laughs> yeah. you have to be wise and knowing what to share what to share and what not to share but in general it's it's going to track with the vulnerability of the person that is perceived uh to be the leader and so that would be and you know it happens with that relationship and spending time outside of of whatever the church community is. So if it's, you know, a micro church around a table, if you're, if that's the only time that you're spending time with that, it's not going to authentic community is not going to happen. There has to be a commitment. Um, and there has to be to that spending time. There has to be vulnerability. Um, and there has to be some trust built up and you have to earn the right to be heard and to speak into each other's lives. And that takes time. So that's what I would say. What would you add, Drew? Yeah, and so much wisdom. I, I don't know if anyone's hearing my crying, uh, almost one year old in the background. There's my vulnerability. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I uh, honestly, you've already hit on several. I mean, the first thing I was going to say is yes, um, you know, especially if people are probably listening to this. If you're starting a micro church, you know, yes, uh, we we believe in distributive leadership. That's not flat leadership, and so whoever's starting the micro church is quote unquote the leader, and they're going to be as time goes on passing on more and more leadership to the people. But if you're starting something, you are the leader and we're not bucking. Leadership is a real thing. Yes, you go first. You go first in vulnerability. Give other people the gift of going second or third or fourth. You lead in vulnerability. Um, and then I would even say going, and that was going to be my second point, going alongside that. Invite people to uh, give you criticism or invite people in, give them permission to speak truth into your life. That's a whole nother level. It's one thing to just vomit your life. It's a whole nother thing to say, I actually give you permission to give me mm, advice. That's good. You know, I think a lot of us want, like we're, we, there's one level of, I think intimacy level one uh, or uh, authenticity level one is just, I can tell you who I really am. 
and not feel like you're judging me. But there's another level, I think, where you, I've literally know you love me enough that I can receive your, you know, you telling me where I need to go to get better or to look more like Christ. And so I think a leader or the perceived leader needs to go first in that of saying, I give you permission, you know, to speak into my life. Um, and I've seen examples of that, you know, that, that are remarkable, um, and, it, you know, where a leader, you know, m- might be interacting with, with their spouse and, you know, literally confess, like, I didn't do well in that. The next time I don't do well, you have permission to speak in or hold me accountable. Like, that, that's mm-hmm. this is not cool how I've, I've said this or I wasn't patient in this. There's some really cool things that can happen. Uh, and I would even say, um, let them help you do something where they get to be the expert and you're not. I think that's even another way of inviting in to, for them to get to in your life outside of your meeting times to, to, to uh, start to feel like they have permission to speak into your life. But then, and that would actually leads me into my third point would be like you were saying, do as much life outside of group times as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And the more that you, you invest time there, the more that you really get to see who they are. Um, the more that you, that authenticity starts to, to become a reality. You're not, you're not able to hide anything from me because I'm doing life with you all the time. Right. It's get you the window of things that you can keep to yourself is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, isn't this true? How many people, you know, marriage is a, is a perfect metaphor. Uh, there were some things, you know, you're presenting the best version of yourself when you're dating, you get married suddenly now, like it's, it's very hard. Not that it's not possible because we know plenty of marriages where it is, but it gets very hard to hide things because now I'm with you every day. And, you know, when I only saw you two or three times a week and you could present the best version of yourself, there's this whole other life. There's this whole other you that you could kind of keep to yourself. Now I'm with you every day. And it's like, yeah, there's some, you've got some things. I'm not sure I really like (laughs) this or that. And I'm going to have to learn to love you through it. And me, forgiving you and showing you love is how you start to feel permission to be more real with me about those things, but it's going to be a lot harder to hide them. And so I think that's even just the more life I can do with you, the more authenticity becomes a byproduct. And the more that everyone buys in, the more, you know, it's the more that you buy in and the more vulnerable you are, the more that you're going to get in return and the more that you're going to be authentic and have that community. And, and it really, like we talked about too, it's just the dedication to the, the gospel message. That's what it means. It's when all else fails, let's follow the example of Jesus, right? He said to follow him, like, let's look at what he did and, and how he um, related with his disciples and the people that he came in contact with. And, you know, one of the things that, it, you know, there's only three things when it says the, the son of man came and one of them is eating and drinking. You know, he was called a, he was called a friend of sinners and glutton, right? Because he was always eating and drinking with people. He was spending time just in community and relationship. And so let's follow that example of Jesus and and when all else fails, um, to be, uh, to create this authentic community. Um, and I think it's really, I think, I think it's, you know, people that are part of the group are going to get out of it, whatever they put in. And I think the, the leader or leaders really determine how authentic a community can be by what they're willing to share first, but then also by, um, you know, little things like, you know, just setting the tone and not not correcting every time someone says something that's a little wrong or a little off or allowing people to speak freely, knowing that they're not going to get judged or get corrected right away. You know, it's, it's that small groups dynamics of allowing people 
the space to explore things, even if you don't necessarily agree with them yourselves um, and not shutting them down right away. It's all those things that add up when you allow, you have to allow people to be their authentic selves, right? It doesn't work if you're vulnerable and then someone else starts to be, and then you, you shut it down real quick. Um, so when, like we said, it's going to be messy, but you have to allow that um, if you want to go deep and create, you know, authentic community. And so that would be my closing thought, Drew. Closing I, thought. I, I think you're 100% right. Yeah. I, I My only closing thought would just be, it is messy. It is hard. But when you taste it, there is nothing like it. Mm. You know, it is, we've talked about this before. We this is no shade to any other way of doing church. We are so thankful. We have partners in ministry across church paradigms. But I think at least for you and me, when you feel the spirit move, when you feel known and you start to feel like you know everybody, you know, I think of a night where you think you were leading <laughs> and you did a great job doing some of the things we were talking about and everybody was dealing with some heavy stuff. And, you know, you we had this moment of listening prayer and, and one of the people in our group opened up about some things very like connected to things we already knew that they were wrestling through, but no one could say any, I mean, we were all like, we were all in tears. We were all like uh simpatico, you know, we were, we were feeling that pain alongside that person. And when you start to feel community like that, it's like, this, yeah, no wonder the early church did church the way they did. This, this is the, this is the real thing. And I don't want to go back to a facade. I don't want to go back to faking it. Like, I want to know people. I want to know them at the depth of who they are. And I want to be known that way. And so that would be my encouragement is work through the messiness, the ups and the downs that are going to happen. And I don't think it's an arriving thing. It's just, it's just doing life and it's just a commitment to stay at it. But when you experience it, I, yeah it's really hard to taste it. I mean, I, I think that's the freedom in Christ that he's talking about, right? Yeah. It's exhausting to live the life trying to put on the facade and then your true self, when you can reach that congruence that we talked about and you don't have to worry about trying to put on a show or be something you're not, that's true freedom uh, in Christ right there. And there's yeah. nothing more beautiful than that. Yep. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. So we'll let that be the final word. And uh, again, thank you for listening to the podcast. We would actually rep this beyond just liking it, giving us a comment so other people can find our podcast. Uh, we're giving you lots of promos, but on an ongoing basis, we are coaching people uh, to start authentic communities that are just like this. If you're listening to this and this is your first step in and you're like, man, I really want to lean into this tap our shoulder, reach out to us, get on wearerenaissance.org, fill out the contact stuff, email one of us, and there's nothing we would love to do more than to give our time. Uh, hopefully you're in the Boston area, but even if you're not, we would love to dedicate some time to help you realize this. So till the next time, thank you. Hopefully something we've said has been of benefit and we can't wait to lean into our next essential in the next episode. See you next time. Well, that's it for this episode of Dream, Create, Enjoy. We hope you feel challenged and inspired. While we welcome any listeners, this podcast is really for those in the Boston metro area. If that's you and you want to know more about us or want to connect to what's going on, check us out at wearenaissance.org.